0: Uh, let me start from a Japanese proverb. We have a saying, uh, let your dearest child travel. Now, this does not mean that parents should take their child to say uh, the Tokyo Disneyland so the child can enjoy herself. Uh, that's a wrong understanding. The correct meaning of this proverb is that if you love your child dearly, you should, for that reason, let your child suffer or travail, because her life will go better by experiencing hardships and learn important things in life out of them. On the one hand, this sounds quite uh, commonsensical, but on the other hand, if I knowingly let my two-year-old daughter, I've got two-year-old daughter, suffer. Am I not thereby uh, committing an act of child neglect or child abuse? Seriously, or perhaps philosophically speaking, it raises a few questions, such as, how can we consistently say that you should let your dearest child suffer when we think that there should be less suffering in the world? And if some kind of suffering is good for one's child, should we generalize and say, let people suffer so that they can lead a flourishing life. Put it differently, if there's uh, such a thing as a, a suffering machine, you know, very different from Robert Nozick's famous experience machine, should everybody be in it once or several times in their lifetime? Uh, these are the questions I like to address in my presentation. Uh, this is the outline of my presentation. First, I will talk a little about the definition of suffering and try to distinguish negative and positive suffering. Second, I will introduce two proposed ways. I, I, I wanted to come up with more ways, but uh, this was all I could uh, uh, think of. But two proposed ways that suffering can be good for our well-being. I will raise some questions along the way. Lastly, I will conclude by answering the question that I posed at the title of my presentation, Should We Suffer At All? Uh, First, some words about the definition of suffering. Um, I realize I'm not very good at defining things, so I will mention a definition suggested by Jamie Mayerfield in his book called Suffering and Moral Responsibility. Uh, There, he distinguishes two senses of suffering – Uh, The Objectivist Sense of Suffering. This is roughly synonymous with calamity or misfortune, while the psychological sense of suffering is to feel bad. One can suffer in the former sense while not in the latter sense, as in uh, he died prematurely in a car accident, but luckily he did not suffer much. In his book, Mayerfield mainly focuses on the psychological sense of suffering, and I'd like to do the same. But, uh, in this presentation. But when I talk about suffering, I typically think of psychological suffering through uh, things like calamity or adversity. Uh, with this understanding of suffering in mind, I would like to introduce the distinction between negative and positive suffering. Uh, negative suffering is the kind of suffering whose experience makes your life go worse on the whole than not experiencing it. And positive suffering is the kind of suffering whose experience makes your life go better on the whole than not not experiencing it. Now I suppose that few people would disagree with the claim that negative suffering in this world should be avoided or diminished as much as possible. If suffering were ever applauded, it was because sufferings were considered positive. Here I quote a passage from Darryl McMahon's The Pursuit of Happiness. Uh, he said that the uh, earlier sages, both, uh, both Israelite and Greek, had counseled the, the avoidance of suffering as a condition of happiness. But then came uh, Jesus Christ and he comm- recommended suffering's active embrace. But I suppose here what he recommended is not negative suffering but positive suffering. For he put the the emphasis on the promise of future reward. That is, those who endure pain now will be granted pleasure in a time to come. So the suffering here is positive suffering, which makes life go better on the whole than not experiencing it. Now, uh, if people's well-being matter, and if there are such things as positive sufferings, people should experience them. But people, well, if I say that to my two-year-old daughter, she would ask how exactly suffering is good for me. Here, for the sake of argument, I would like to limit my talk within this world and not talk about the reward in the afterlife and see if there are any plausible explanations of how positive, suf- how positive suffering is possible. As far as I know, at least two ways have been suggested. I guess uh, you know about more ways. And these are the two ways suffering can be good for your well-being. The contrasting effect of suffering and the transforming effect of suffering. I will explain each of them in detail. Uh, The first is the contrasting effect of suffering. Uh, This means that your life becomes more fulfilling if it contains some period of suffering. Because knowing the uh, I don't know how to put this in English, but knowing the bottom makes the top uh, feel higher. I got this idea from Richard Kraut's uh, recent article on happiness, suffering, and death uh, in the Oxford Handbook of, of the History of Ethics, edited by you, Roger Crisp. Now uh, Kraut imagines the life with no suffering, with absolutely no experience of sadness disappointment, or frustration, and asks if such life is good, and his answer is negative. This is because one who leads such uniformly sweet life, as he put it, is missing aspects of human experience that partially constitute a well-lived life. (coughs) So he says, uh, the value of agreeable forms of consciousness and joy are increased by being integrated into a larger whole with less desirable forms of consciousness and sadness. <coughs> and quote, uh, One's later experiences can be enriched by being seen against the background provided by, provided by earlier unhappiness. Someone who never experienced any form of unhappiness could never view his life in this way and that would be a diminution in the richness and depth of his experience. Therefore, he says, uh, some combination of the sweet, the bittersweet, and the sour might, in other words, be better than uniform sweetness. Uh, I I think Kraut's idea is quite appealing, but here I raise some questions. First, the, uh, the one leading the uniformly sweet life, or those who aspire to such life, may criticise and say this is just sour grapes. They would simply contend that the uniformly sweet life is better than the life be the sweet, the bittersweet, and the sour, and whatever else. And there would be no good test to decide who is right on this matter. Second, uh, one can ask how is this contrasting effect of suffering different from the downward so- social comparison? Uh, downward social comparison is done when a person gains comfort by, being, by seeing people who are worse off than herself. The contrasting effect of suffering happens within oneself. So for example, she, oops, she would say something like, I suffered once and now I am all the more happy for it. The downward social comparison, on the other hand, happens between oneself and others. So, for example, she would say, I know that there are people suffering out there and I feel better for my lot. (coughs) Intra or interpersonal, if it's just a matter of contrast or comparison, then we don't have to suffer ourselves as long as there are people who are less fortunate. It seems that it takes more to argue that we ourselves need to experience uh, positive suffering. So the second explanation of how suffering can be good for your well-being is the transforming effect of suffering. This means the experience of suffering changes your value system or priorities and your life will become more fulfilling. Now, uh, psychologist Jonathan Haidt explained this very well in his book, a very good book, uh, The Happiness Hypothesis. In the chapter 7 of his book, he proposed what he called the Adversity Hypothesis. It says people need adversity, setbacks, and perhaps even trauma to reach the highest levels of strength, fulfillment, and personal development. According to Haidt, There are now psychological researches studying post-traumatic growth as opposed to (coughs) post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. This this post-traumatic growth relates to what I call positive suffering. Uh, Height enumerates three benefits of traumatic experience. Of these, most importantly the last one. Traumatic experience brings about changes in one's values and priorities in life. Thus he writes, a diagnosis of cancer is often described, in retrospect, as a wake-up call, a reality check, or a turning point. The reality that people often wake up to is that life is a gift they have been taken for granted, and that people, matters, people matter more than money. Now, uh, this reminds me of a story, uh, I I guess this is a very famous one, told by Stephen Hawking, the famous theoretical physicist in the wheelchair. Once he wrote about his young days in Oxford, here, The prevailing attitude at Oxford at that time was very anti-work. You were supposed to be brilliant without effort, were to accept your limitations and get a full class degree. To work hard to get a better class of degree was regarded as the mark of a grey man. The worst epi- epithet in the Oxford vocabulary. Is this like, <coughs> li- like this still? No. No. <laughs> so it's different now. <laughs> I once calculated that I did about a thousand hours work in the three years I was there, an average of an hour a day, an mm-hmm. average of an hour a day. I'm not proud of this lack of work. I'm just describing my attitude at the time which I shared with most of my fellow students, attitude of complete boredom and feeling that nothing was worth making an effort for. The <coughs> so result of my illness, that is ALS, uh, Garrick disease, has been to change all that. When you are faced with the possibility of an early death, it makes you realize that life is worth living and that there are lots of things you want to do. Uh, in short, uh, the great philosopher Johnny Meechus said, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And back to Jonathan Haidt. He continues, in general, the ability to make sense of tragedy and then find benefit in it is a key that unlocks post-traumatic growth. So the tragedy can be a learning experience, as in the Hawking's case. Then, when should we suffer and learn from it? Quote, uh, I still, uh, I, I will talk uh, about Haidt's uh, book. And quoting psychological researches, Haidt suggests the right time to suffer is in the late teens and early twenties. Are there people in their <laughs> early twenties here? Oh, good. <laughs> okay. Uh, good grief. I'm older than that now. I'm, I'm very good. Advanced at such an age, um, age bracket will make people... Stronger, better and even happier than they would have been without it. But uh, do we do we have to suffer ourselves to get this transforming effect of suffering? Height addresses this question, distinguishes two versions of the adversity hypothesis. The weak version says adversity can lead to growth, strength, joy and self improvement, but mechanisms he suggested earlier the three benefits. The weak version, according to him, is well supported by research but has few clear implications for our lives. Uh, this is presumably because uh, there may be some alternative ways of transforming oneself, so you don't really have to let people suffer. Uh, on the other hand, the strong version of the hypothesis says uh, quote, people must endure adversity to grow and that highest levels of growth and development are only open to those who have faced and overcome great adversity. This is indeed a strong claim, and accordingly, he says, it has profound implications for our lives and society. If there is no alternative way to personal growth but to experience positive suffering, then we should construct a society so that people will suffer at the right time. But lastly, I' conclude the chapter by saying that the strong version might be true, but needs some caveat caveat. For adversity to be maximally beneficial, it should happen at the right time, young adulthood, to the right people, those with the social and psychological resources to rise to the challenges and find benefits, and to the right degree, not so severe as to cause PTSD.. I have dwelt. Uh, quite longer, a uh, height idea of the adversity hypothesis because it, it's very interesting and pertinent to the uh, current topic of positive suffering but I think uh, that some criticisms, criticisms may be raised against the strong version of the, his adversity hypothesis First, the personal and social implication of the strong version is still ambiguous what should be done if we can identify young people with the right kind of social and psychological resources Haidt said that each life course is so unpredictable that we can never know whether a particular setback will be beneficial to a particular person in the long run. This means that we cannot be sure if a particular type of suffering turns out positive or negative. Then, should we let young people suffer knowing that some of them develop PTSD? As Haidt suggests, We can wait for some more psychological researches to find that out and find out the right amount of suffering for each individual, but I suppose it will take a long time before such research is complete and ready for application. Second, Haidt advocated a strong version of the adversity hypothesis, that actual suffering is necessary for one's personal development. But I wonder if there may be some alternative to actual suffering. He said that the benefit of suffering benefit of suffering, transformation of oneself or in his word acquisition of wisdom comes only from experiencing suffering. Suffering himself or herself. According to him, this is because wisdom is tacit knowledge, know-how, rather than explicit knowledge, know that. And therefore cannot be really taught in words by parents or teachers. Well, So as one British song goes, for young grandson there's nothing I can say. You'll have to learn just like me, and that's the hardest way. If you know. Uh, That's all true, but if you can experience the suffering of others through novels or movies, for example, that may be one way of avoiding actual suffering. But still, uh, it may be uh, learning maybe you can learn from suffering. And if you can develop something like a suffering machine, like a experience machine, and experience suffering by using some kind of virtual reality, that's still another way of avoiding actual suffering, but learning from suffering. Or perhaps uh, we can set up a government scheme of forcing people to lose something for a certain period, period then give it back to them. For example, we can have no legs day, or no eyesight week for some of the population to experience how precious their healthy legs or eyes are. <coughs> but anyway, uh, yes, uh, you will experience the sense of loss, but in reality, uh, you will not lose anything. Uh, s- second, uh, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, Virtual suffering, like reading a novel or being put on a suffering machine, would be better than real suffering in at least two ways. One is, you will, one is that you will experience the sense of loss, but in reality you will not lose anything. Secondly, that one can control the degree of suffering, if the suffering machine is well developed, that true. these alternatives may not be as good a learning experience as the real suffering. But until we develop the method to control the real suffering, so that we can confidently prescribe young people the right degree of suffering, we may as well be contented with this kind of virtual suffering. Uh, With these comments, I come to the conclusion. So should we suffer at all? First, I distinguish negative suffering from positive. I uh, totally agree with uh, Jonathan Haidt when he says uh, quote, I don't want to celebrate suffering, prescribe it for everyone or minimize the moral imperative to reduce it where we can. I want only to make the point that suffering is not always all bad for all people. Unquote. My only claim is that if we can find positive suffering, perhaps we should let people experience it to enhance their well-being. We tend to think we should get rid of all sufferings in the world. Well, eventually. But we should learn to identify positive sufferings if such things ever exist and try not to eliminate them because they may be necessary for our well-being. We should learn not only to identify them but also learn to control them so that people can suffer at the right time to the right degree. At the same time, we should try to find out what's what's really good in positive suffering so that we can find alternative ways other than real suffering. Thank you very much for listening.